Welcome to the City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. This will be finished up next Sunday. Um, And what we've been doing over the last two weeks is look at the resurrection of Jesus through the perspective of the people that were there. Um, in hopes of having a complete picture of the most, uh, the most impactful event of history, uh, I, I think it's, it's interesting to see how the resurrection affected different people in different ways. And so today we're going to look at the life of Peter, and I think that this will be a, a word that will both challenge you and encourage you. Chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. My version says it this way. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The word of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. God, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to be in your word. I pray that you would focus the most distracted of minds right now so that we would not let this moment pass us by. Jesus, we know that whenever your word is opened and whenever your word is explained, there's going to be conflicting thoughts. They're going to try to distract us from this moment. But Jesus, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, this moment would be a powerful moment, not where we're listening to a speech, but where we are being taught by God. Lord, I ask that that in every heart and every mind there would be space, that there would be room for your word to be as a seed in soil so that that seed can grow and that it would bear fruit and fruit that remains. Jesus, I I pray that uh, you would encourage each and every one of us in our journey with you. All of us are at different points in our walk, but, but I pray that this word would reach each person at the point of their need. We ask this in the name above every name, the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. So, um, ever, anybody ever been in that dreadful situation where someone says something to you and you don't hear them the first time? And so you say, what was that? And they repeat it a second time and you still didn't catch it. And so you, you ask for it a third time. And at that point, you're just praying, Lord Jesus, Open up my ears and my understanding that I would understand what this person is trying to say to me. And they say it a third time, and you still didn't catch it. At that point, you have three options. You can either ask for them to repeat it a fourth time. I've never seen that done, but it's an option. You can second off, give them the answer that you think will go in line with what they've been saying. Usually that's a yes or a no or a oh. 
Um, Aura, that's nice. You know, something along those lines, and you're just hoping that it fits. Or third, and I've seen this done, you just kind of distract yourself with something else. Like, oh, how about that bird out there? Just something, something random that'll just get you to just abandon the conversation. Anybody ever been there? What do we usually do? Ask for a fourth repeat? Just answer it? Just smile and wave, right? This happens to me frequently at City Boston after service because they crank that music after the service is done. And people will come up to the front and, and, and try to say something. And I'm just, I put on the pastor smile. You know, the, I am so glad you're here, but I can't hear a word you're saying smile. And uh, so good to see you. And they're talking about, you know, their life, their jobs, their kids, their marriages, their dating, their everything. And I'm just like, and the music's just cranked. And sometimes, you know, City Boston will get a little excited and they'll start putting like ethnic music on or like Spanish music on or, or any kind of music on. And they'll just keep it going and going and going. At every point, every Friday, I have to just unplug the music. Because until the music stops, no one, no one starts packing up to go home. I'm like, we live an hour away. We got to go. Plus, we got to eat. Right? So... But there's always that moment where someone's trying to say something to you and you just can't hear it. And so they got to repeat. Have you ever been around a three-year-old that asks the same question 35 times in three seconds? Same question. It's usually now about the phone, right? Can I see your phone? Can I play with those games? Can I do this? Can I? And it's like, so I have two nephews and two nieces, right? And, uh, and, 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 and it's constant, constant questions. I love them, but they always go back to their parents, which is nice. Uh, but, but, you know, when, now when I have a kid, it's different because you, you can't just ignore You can't just, like, play it off. You can't just, you got you to actually answer the, these the tough questions. And then kids come up with the craziest questions sometimes, right? Like deep questions, like questions that leave you stumped. And it's like, you, you, and then they'll just repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. Have you ever just been annoyed by someone repeating the same thing? Anybody have that friend who's told the same joke for 10 years? Same story that you've heard a thousand times. I'm sure some of y'all feel like that about my stories and sermons. Like, oh, we've heard the child, that childhood story. We've heard that second grade story. Whatever. I'm going to keep telling them. But um, we've, all, we've all been there where, where someone's just keep repeating and repeating. Peter is in that situation with Jesus where Peter is starting to get annoyed with Jesus. I mean, imagine getting annoyed with God. Peter's getting annoyed with Jesus because, you know, Things have kind of things have kind of gone downhill for Peter. For context's sake, it's important for you to know that Peter is like the hot-headed, hot-headed disciple. You know, there's the passive disciples. Imagine like Bartholomew is the passive disciple, never makes the news. Peter is in all the stories. Peter's well. I mean, Peter's the dude who, when Jesus was being arrested, he pulled out a knife and chopped off someone's ear. Like that's how, like. What makes you think of that? Like, oh, I'm going to respond. Let me get my knife and cut off that guy's ear. Like, don't stab him. I'm just going to cut off his ear. And then Jesus picks the ear back up and puts it on. Powerful moment. But, but Peter's the hot-headed guy. Peter, same dude, Lord's Supper, Last Supper, whatever you want to call it, last days before Jesus is dead. Jesus is passing around a cup and bread. This is like a symbol of his oncoming death. And Jesus lets the disciples know, one of y'all is going to betray, is going to deny me in just about 24 hours. Peter pipes up and says, Jesus, this is how brash Peter was. Jesus, 
even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And, and Jesus is like, truly, truly, I tell you. These are the, these are the words of, of Jesus. Truly, truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, never, Lord. Not I. Surely, Matthew. Right? Instigators. Truly, truly not. And, and, and the conversation, but less than 24 hours later, Jesus has been betrayed by Judas, different than the denial of Peter. He's been betrayed by Judas. All, this is all happening up in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's like dark at night. Jesus has just been sweating blood. He's stressed out. And the moment comes, you know, Jesus goes to trial. And so Peter's kind of hanging around the trial to see how things are going to roll with his friend Jesus. And so somebody near the campfire spots Peter. Peter looks Galilean. And the lady says to Peter, Peter, aren't you one of the 12 that were following Jesus for these last three years? Like, we've seen you. You were there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. That was crazy. You were there when we all got fed the, the bread and the fish on that mountainside. You were there when he healed that other lady with the issue of blood. You were there. Like, I, I swear I saw you. Peter denies it. Denies Jesus. Denies that he ever. He says, I don't know the man. 24 hours later, after he said, even if I have to die with you, I will never die. I mean, I will, I will go. I will never die. I will go. A second person comes up to Peter. Aren't you the dude that's been rolling with Jesus for the last three years? You you look Galilean. I don't know how Galileans look, but there was a very specific look. You look Galilean. No, not you got the wrong guy. Wrong Peter. That's that's the other Peter. That's the other dude. That's not me. Third person comes up. Peter has an issue with people repeating stuff. Aren't you, I'm going to go through this whole story. Aren't you the guy that was going with, at this point, Peter gets so livid that he literally calls down curses on the person who asked him, cusses them out. That's what the Bible says. Curses them and says, I told you, I don't. No, the man, as soon as he uttered those last words, the rooster crows. Three times. And it just it happens. How'd that go? And it just, it goes. And then it says, Peter wept bitterly. How frequently have we been Peter? We make all these crazy promises to God. We break all the promises. The sign of the punishment comes. All of a sudden, we are so repentant. Oh my goodness, God, I can't believe I just did what I just did. Literally a second later, there's this conviction that falls on Peter's heart. I just denied Jesus. The thing I said I would never do, I just did. Isn't the flesh crazy? Where we make these crazy promises, and then the flesh creeps up, and we end up not even doing what we said we would do. So he, he weeps bitterly. We know the rest of the story, right? Jesus ends up being convicted, sentenced, crucified, died, laid in a grave. End of the story, we think, right? He lays in the grave for three days. Jesus rises again on the third day. 
great. Mary Magdalene sees him. She says, I have seen the Lord. She goes tell the disciples. They say, we have seen the Lord. Thomas gets the, the thing of Jesus. He has seen the Lord. Everybody's seen the Lord, right? Now we're going to have the first sit-down conversation between Peter and Jesus after this all went down. How do you sit down with Jesus after this all went down? A lot happened in one weekend. Ever had that weekend where your life changed? This was even worse than that. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus was convicted, sentenced, crucified, died, rose again on the third day. Now we're going to have our first sit-down meal on the beach with fish that Jesus just made. First of all, if Jesus were serving me fish after I denied him three times, I would be like, what did you put in there? Like, I, that, that just, if I were Jesus and I'm going to sit down with a guy that basically turned his back on me, got me killed, and now I've risen from the dead and I'm going to have a conversation with him, I'd be like, you know what, Peter? I changed my mind. You are not the rock, and I will not build my house, my house upon you. That's just what I would say. I take it back. You are now Simon again. Because Jesus called him Peter. Peter means rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church. I'd be like, you know what, Peter? I changed my mind. But Jesus knew when he called Simon Peter that Peter would be the guy that would deny him three times. Isn't it crazy that God chooses people even though he knows what we're about to do? And he, God's not surprised when we deny him. He's just like, you know what? I knew he would do that, but I still want to use him. All right, I guess the rest of y'all are perfect. But the, those of us that God issues are grateful that God chose us despite our issues. Let me tell you something. There are days where I'm not worthy of being called Pastor Shane, but still God has called me to pastor his people. And I'm like, God, I myself need to be pastored. And Jesus is like, you know what? Even though you got your issues, I still chose you. I still want you. And if it goes for little old me, it goes for big old you. God wants you. Yes. Amen. Yep. Yep, God wants you with your issues. God's not taken aback by your denials. There was enough grace for Simon Peter to carry him through even a denial. Jesus, why would you choose someone as hot-headed as Simon? Because God wanted to direct the passions of Peter to build the church. Isn't it crazy that what the enemy wants to use for destruction, God is able to channel and use it to benefit and build up his church because the passion that was getting Peter into hot water is actually the passion that God wanted to use to build the church because God can't use passive people to build the church. He has to tap on the shoulder some passionate people, some hot-headed people, some temperamental people, some angry people because when you start getting that anger and you start directing it in the work of the kingdom, you you get so angry at the devil that you start building up the church because the gates of hell can't prevail against the church that's being built with passion. God uses passionate people. Can you tell? God uses passionate people. God is able to direct and use what the enemy thought he would use for your destruction. God wants to use to unlock your calling. 
Let me tell you something. If you're an angry person, God wants to use that anger to build up the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. If you're a depressed person, God wants to use that depression to build up the kingdom of God. You're a selfish person. God wants you to be a selfish person for the kingdom of God. God can use anything and turn it around for his glory. Anything. Selfish people are the best stewards of the kingdom of God. Able to manage the things of God. They won't give it away. (laughs) Prideful people are great for the kingdom of God because they take pride in the things of God and won't settle for anything less than the best for the kingdom of God. Angry people are great for the kingdom of God because you start directing an angry person and using them for the kingdom, man, nobody's going to stop what they want to do for the glory of God. God can use what the enemy intended for your destruction. And he can use it for your good. Yep. Yep, every time. Every time. It's crazy how God can make gold out of mud. It's crazy how God decides to build his church with imperfect people. God, why would you choose a person like Peter? He chose a person like Peter because he would someday choose a person like me. A person who wasn't worthy of being called. But we're called because God sees past our weaknesses and sees us into our potential. And so Peter would be the angry, hot-headed disciple that would be used to build the church. And the Catholic Church to this day considers Peter the first pope. We can argue there. But it goes to show the role that he played in the formation of the early church. It's this idea that God uses people even though those people aren't qualified for the position they're in. Is this, is this, is this a word? So, so Peter, I got so hot-headed I forgot where I was. Uh, Peter, did, oh, we're sitting down for the first conversation after the, after the resurrection. How does this conversation happen? Peter denied Jesus three times after all. And, and now, like, we're going to sit down for lunch. Jesus has prepared fish for us on the beach. Where's my Cape Verdean fish lovers at? Fish for everything. <laughs> Jesus was part Cape Verdean. Um, Whenever you start hanging around with people that aren't Cape Verdean and they realize that we have fish in everything, fish in our pastel, fish in our rice, fish in our cookies, like we have fish in everything. <laughs> Not cookies, I'm exaggerating for the purpose of a ministry point, but it's <laughs> ministerially speaking. But we're going to sit down for a conversation with Jesus and he's going to decide, you know, like, how does that conversation, oh, Peter, what's new? We, the week after Peter denied him three times and Jesus had died and resurrected and all that had happened, how does this, how are you doing? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that you have tension with? You meet up for coffee to resolve your tensions and the moment comes where, who talks first? Hey. Jesus goes to the heart. He doesn't even, he skips the pleasantries. He skips the how's your day. He skips the how's the weather, like, oh, the weather I know because I, I, I'm the one that, 
I decided it would be a cloudy day. Like, there's no conversation about that. He skips all over all the pleasantries, and he jumps to the heart of the matter and asks Peter the most important question. He says, Peter, do you love me? Dang, Jesus, we couldn't even start with, what's up? Like, how was the resurrection? Like, can we start at, like, we're skipping over, like, the cross. We're skipping over the fact that Peter denied Jesus three times. We're, we're skipping over these massive events. And Jesus just goes, cuts to the heart of that. Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds right away. You know I love you. And Jesus responds again. Then feed my sheep. Now, as if that conversation had not even happened, Peter then, and Jesus then jumps to the second question. And you would think there would be a follow-up. Like, okay, we've established that you love me. Peter, are you sorry for what you did? You know that I'm sorry. Peter, will you never do it again? You know I will never do it again. That would be a logical conversation. Peter, do you love me? Peter, are you sorry? Peter, will you never do it again? Jesus doesn't take that road for the conversation. He asks, Peter, do you love me? A second time. Simon, Peter, hot-headed, starting to get annoyed, says, Jesus, you know that I love you. Third question. There's some other disciples there on the beach, by the way. So this is very embarrassing because he's not asking anybody else. This is awkward. Peter, son of John. Now you know it's serious. Right? Shane, son of Eliseo, do you love me? That's just very pointed. Peter, son of John, do you love me? Jesus, and he's now annoyed at this point. It says that in the scriptures. You know what I love is that John's the one writing this, and he's putting Peter on blast. He's saying, Peter is now livid at this point, and he's about to like tell Jesus off. And then... I'll, I'll get to that part next. But do you love me? Peter is now frustrated, and he jumps to Jesus' omniscience. He pulls the theology, and he's like, Jesus, you know how much I love you? I know that you know everything. You are omniscient, Jesus. You know that I love you. And Jesus responds for the third time, feed my sheep. You know what Jesus was doing by asking? Because Jesus wasn't just doing this to be annoying. Jesus was doing this to prove a point. There's a heading on top of the scripture, and the headings aren't the words of God. The headings are like things that people thought was smart to label the scripture. It says the reinstatement of Peter. Because when Peter denied Jesus three times, he was kind of, he fell out of fellowship with Christ by denying him. And you would think, I would call it Peter's restart. But it's not Peter's restart. It's Peter's reinstatement. When you restart, you have to start from zero. You have to go back three years and, 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 and say yes to Jesus all over again. Jesus didn't make Peter hit the restart button. Jesus hit the reinstate button, which means you pick up where you left off. And so when Jesus was denied by Peter three times, 
Jesus says, I'm going to undo the effects of those denials three times by making Peter admit that he actually loves me three times. For every one time that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus made him say three times that he loved Jesus. By asking Peter about Peter's love for Jesus, Jesus was proving to Peter Jesus' love for Peter. That's really confusing. Go listen to the recording. By asking... By asking Peter about Peter's love for Jesus, Jesus was proving to Peter Jesus' love for Peter because Jesus never brought up Peter's three denials. He never brought it up. He never said, are you really sorry about what you did? Let me tell you something. If I were Jesus, I would have been like, are you crazy or something? I'm God. I can take your breath away right now, turn you back to dirt. I could turn turn you into a rocket and fly you into space. What's a rocket? You'll see. Like, there's just like... You could do anything, anything at all. You could, Jesus could be mad. He could be vengeful. He could condemn him. He could kill him. He could crucify him right there. He said, I'm going to show you what I went through. Give me a cross, cross in the ground. Be, be nailed to the cross. That all could have happened. Jesus could have condemned Peter in a moment's notice. I know if I were Jesus, I would have. But I'm not Jesus. Jesus didn't even bring up what Peter had done because Jesus loved Peter in spite of Peter's sins. And Jesus loves you way past your sins. He loves you for who he created you to be. And so Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus made Peter say, I love you three times. Jesus didn't restart Peter. He reinstated Peter. Jesus doesn't want to restart you. He wants to reinstate you because we were all created in the image of God. But the sin thing is what broke this fellowship. But it, through Christ and by his sacrifice, we are reinstated into the family of God. It's as if we never left. It's as if we never left. If I were to hypothetically abandon my parents' home, I'm now married, but follow the story. If I were to abandon their home and and, 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 and be like the prodigal son, right? Give me your money, and I'm leaving. And then I go through the whole story like the prodigal son did. I have to come back and, and say I'm sorry. Would I have to then go back into my mother's womb and start from scratch and then be reborn and, and make new decisions? Goodness, no. That's odd, weird, and stupid. What would happen is my parents would be graceful and loving and accepting. Amen? Amen. Yes? And I... And I would come back and it would be through the eyes of Jesus and through the grace of our Lord as if I never had left. You're welcome back at the table exactly the same spot that you left. And that's the way it is with the family of God. Gone is the religious culture that says you have to be condemned in order for you to be reinstated. I believe that there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. If you turn your back on Jesus, Jesus never turns his back on you. He still is vested in you. He wants you. He has called you. And you are still a son and daughter despite your sins. This is a crazy way to think about God. Because it flies in the face of of a condemnation culture that says, you need to get it together. We can't get it together. (laughs) Jesus has to get me together. (laughs) And so Peter is faced with this three times, and he's getting annoyed. And Jesus didn't restart Peter. He reinstated Peter. But here's the thing. He not only reinstated Peter, he reminded Peter of some stuff. 
You know when you start repeating things? I have to write things down to remember. Anybody else? You can tell me something, and I will forget it by the time I turn my back on you. Like, it's just that quick. I have to write things down in order to remember. Or repeat things. What's the number you have to do things 21 times in order to become a habit? Some crazy like that. I don't know how they prove that, but that's what they say. But there's this power of repetition. And Jesus is repeating this to Peter, not to be annoying, but to prove a point and to remind Peter that Jesus' love for Peter was not dependent on Peter's love for Jesus. Jesus' love for Peter was not dependent on Peter's love for Jesus. Jesus still loved Peter in spite of Peter's sin. And so Jesus was reminding Peter, look, Peter, I know you denied me, Peter, but I still want you, Peter. I still choose you, Peter. I'm still going to call you Peter, even though you're kind of a Simon right now. Simon is his old identity. He still calls him by the name that Jesus had changed it to. He's reminding Peter, but then thirdly, he's recruiting Peter. Because the, the consequence of loving Jesus is always going to be service to Jesus' people. And he says, Peter, you love me? It's easy to say you love me. Now you got to go feed my sheep. It's easy to say you love me, but now you got to tend my sheep. Notice the, the, the pronoun that Jesus uses. He doesn't say feed your sheep. I'm going to make you a pastor. You're going to feed your sheep. No, the sheep belong to the ultimate shepherd, and the shepherd is Jesus. Let me tell you something. Y'all don't belong to us. Y'all don't belong to the pastors. Y'all belong to Jesus. I just have the privilege of being a pastor in your life, but, but you belong to Jesus. And, and so he says, tend and feed my sheep. That would ultimately lead to Jesus' next statement, which I think a lot of us forget, and we didn't read it, but I want to read it for you real quick. Because after this whole conversation, goodness, I'm going long today. I'm almost done. Y'all good? There's no Sunday school today. Y'all just got to vote. You don't even want to do that, so you're fine. I'm just playing. You got to go vote. Vote, 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 vote. He says, truly and truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. What Jesus is talking about is the fact that Peter himself would die by crucifixion. Oh, my goodness. Oh my goodness. Peter ended up dying by crucifixion. And he was, he didn't want to die in the same position that Jesus died. He was crucified upside down. That took a turn for the worst. Right? Like, I thought this would end joyfully, where Peter's like the first pope and things are beautiful. No, this, this following Jesus thing requires sacrifice. And Peter was reminded by Jesus that if you love me, it's going to cost your life. Oh, Shane, that's 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning? You had to go there? We couldn't have ended on the reinstatement? No. Following Jesus always ends in sacrifice. Following Jesus doesn't look cute. And I know that there's this American version of celebrity Christianity that looks great where there's lights and smoke and sound and worship teams and preachers with skinny, 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 skinny jeans and V-necks and Chelsea boots and, and comb-overs and cross-tats. And, like, the whole thing. And I'm not here to roast. I'm just here to say that that is, a, is not a picture of what Jesus was, was saying when he told Peter, you, you love me? It's going to cost you your life. That doesn't sell and that doesn't recruit church members quick. Let me just tell you that right now. You know what recruits church members quick? 
finish the sermon at reinstatement. It does, it, it's, not, it's not attractive to finish the sermon at crucifixion again and say, oh, I actually have to die. I'm not saying we have to be crucified. I'm just saying that we have to give our life back. And that when we follow Jesus, there's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost. Salvation is free. Amen. But the cost of being a follower of Jesus requires everything that we have. Yesterday morning, we had an event called Love the City. Love the City captures the heart and soul of who our church is and will be in the future. These events are not going to be just quarterly, semi-annually. I'm believing and praying and planning and prophesying for a day where these events will be more frequent per week than the services we have on Sunday mornings. Where our church is not defined by the number of services we have on a weekend, but our church is defined by how many services we do for other people. That's who our church will be. Because a lot of times there's this, oh, we have seven services a weekend. How many people are we serving a weekend? So yesterday morning was one of the most beautiful days ever. In a very literal way. It was quite sunny. But we went up to the community of Dorchester and we were serving alongside a a ministry called the Boston Project Ministries. And there's this couple, Paul and I, I forget the name of his wife, but they bought this home a three-level home in the, commun- in the neighborhood of Dorchester. And the way he described this house was beautiful. Where he's, they live, his family, him and his wife and his four daughters live on the second and third floors of this three-level house. And the first house is a, just a community center. And he called it the living room of our neighborhood. Where anybody is welcome to just come in and, Kids can do homework and you can do whatever and just kind of, you have nowhere to go. You have a living room. You have a, and the family is raising these two daughters right there in the middle of all of this. Inconvenient. Invasion of privacy. Whatever you want to call it, I was blown away. Blown away. And so this Boston Project Ministry is 21, 22 years old, started in 1996. They bought this house. They're serving a neighborhood in Dorchester. They've done beautiful murals around their neighborhood. They have beautiful gardens that they have. And and basically what our team went to do is we split up into five groups, and we were just doing service projects. So we were hanging up signs on telephone poles for a a walking circuit that they have in their neighborhood, planting trees, tending to their garden, packing craft bags for their summer program. And we were just kind of doing whatever they needed to do. So we came back to the house after our projects were done. I was having a small conversation with Paul, the, the, the leader of this ministry, uh, before the barbecue that we were having to finish off the day. And he said, you and your team accomplished in two hours what would have taken one full-time staff person three weeks to do. You and your team did two hours. What would have taken three weeks? It was no sweat off our back. It was a pleasure to serve. And what we did was, we didn't walk away with certificates saying we served. Because I think if service is our culture, if service is our livelihood, then service won't be an option. We won't do it to be applauded. 
We'll do it because we love Jesus. Do you love me? Jesus said to Peter. Yes, I do. You know I love you. Then tend my sheep. When I saw Paul, his wife, his four daughters, surrounded by these students from that neighborhood in that living room, there wasn't multitudes of teenagers. There was maybe half a dozen, like a dozen, 12 of them maybe, but he was tending the sheep. He was tending the sheep. It wasn't glamorous. He may not be featured on any Instagram with thousands of followers so that everybody can say how great Paul is. He's not doing it to be photographed and put on the front page of a newspaper or magazine. We don't have to say, oh, great, you're Paul, and Paul's great, and Paul's awesome. No, Paul is doing it because Paul loves Jesus. Because when you love Jesus, you serve people automatically. So when I say this is who our church will be, this is who our church will be. If we claim to be a church that loves Jesus, we will be a church bent on serving people all the time. When Love the City comes up next time, I encourage you to be a part of it. God is opening up an opportunity for our church. I had a meeting on Thursday afternoon with a nursing home about one block away from here. If you just walk past our street, you go right into Central Falls. There's a nursing home called Mansion Nursing. It's actually a really cool place because it's in a, an old mill owner's mansion. When all these mills were owned by these really rich people back in the late 1800s, they've turned this old mansion into a nursing home. They have a bunch of residents, and God's opening up an opportunity for us to have a service there with the residents at that nursing home. And I'm, I'm going to contact them this week to schedule our first time that we're going to have a service with them. We're going to have music and, and preaching and a great time with them. It's going to be beautiful. And guess what? That's tending the sheep. There are three high schools within a stone's throw of this facility. Central Falls High School, Tolman High School, Shea High School. What is it that our church can do to tend those sheep? There are two city halls within a stone's throw of this building. Central Falls City Hall, Pawtucket City Hall. What is it that we can do to tend the sheep of this community? Because by doing it for the least of these, we do it unto Christ. And I may sound like a broken record bringing this up every single Sunday, but this is who Jesus has called this church to be. And so until we get it right, we got to keep getting on the same point that if we love Jesus, God calls us to tend his sheep. This church will be a church like no other. Because we will get first things first. Love for God and love for people. Do you love me? Of course I do, Jesus. Then tend my sheep. Could you stand with me this morning?